Hello and welcome to the Leap of Faith. On a day when love is celebrated on the feast of a 3rd century Roman saint who was patron of love and beekeepers, St. Valentine. When Emperor Claudius II decided that single men made better soldiers than those with wives and families, he outlawed marriage for young men. Valentine, realising the injustice of the decree, defied Claudius and continued to perform marriages for young lovers in secret. Well, tonight, we in turn celebrate love and the life of Fred Rogers, an American who revolutionised children's television as the character Mr. Rogers. Famously, he said, love isn't a state of perfect caring, it's an active noun, like struggle. To love someone is to strive to accept that person exactly the way he or she is, right here and now. It's a beautiful day in this neighbourhood, a beautiful day for a neighbour. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Well, the Reverend Chris Kennedy of Dunleary Presbyterian Church joins me in the studio now. Chris, we gave you the assignment to review the film A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, starring Tom Hanks. The reason being your connections to Fred Rogers. Go on, fill in the blanks. Well, um, I am a Presbyterian minister, and Fred Rogers was a Presbyterian minister um, from a slightly different denomination in the US. I studied in the US. I actually studied in the same state as Fred Rogers. I studied in Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. Now, he was at the other side of the state. But um, I suppose um, the biggest connection would have been uh, when I studied was in uh, the early noughties, um, and Fred Rogers was just coming to the end of his career. And I remember watching public broadcasting services and seeing this man present what ostensibly was the most ordinary looking television program you've ever come across. Mm. And it was magical. It was absolutely superb because it worked with children and it worked for children and it was pitched deliberately at kids. I'm a sucker for kids. Mm. I've got three of them now. Mm. And uh, he was amazing at pitching a television program in such a way that it gave the children a positive message, sparked their imaginations and encouraged them to express and to think about how they felt. And this was a, even before Sesame Street. This was, this was a man who set out to educate children on managing their emotions. Now we'd call it emotional intelligence, but he was ahead of the posse. Oh, hugely so. Incredibly so. I mean, it's quite obvious. He worked with children's child psychologists uh, in terms of writing his programs and, and speaking to them. And you can see that influence upon how he expresses emotions with kids. So in the movie, for example, there's a moment in it where he's talking to the journalist. I think his name's Lloyd Fogel mm. about his feelings. And he uses puppets. Now, that is ahead of its day. That really is quite extraordinary. So you've got King Friday the 13th, who's one of the puppets, and, and I think it's Striped Tiger's another one. Mm. Kids got that they could express things to those puppets that they couldn't necessarily say to an adult. Now, we're going to get tripped up in our conversation between the real man and the, 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 the Hollywood version. So we'll talk about the Hollywood version first. Sure. Tom Hanks stars in the film, yep. A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. And it really just captures, uh, I think only it's done across one episode uh, of the programme rather than, than the history uh, of, uh, of Fred Rogers in the first place. But what it really does seem to tackle is this idea of cynicism and the cynical journalist who's come in to see is this guy as white as he makes out to be, as, as snowy white as he makes out to be. Very much. And 
the the movie isn't so much about Fred Rogers as someone's experience of Fred Rogers. In this case, the journalist Lloyd Vogel. Lloyd Vogel was a journalist uh, working for Esquire magazine um, with a real reputation for being the cynic, being the one who found out the true story behind the veneer. And uh, at one point, early on in the movie, um, his wife turns to him and says, Lloyd, don't you destroy my childhood when she hears that he's going to go and interview Fred Rogers. Um, And yet the, the film itself takes you on a journey of discovery for him, of his emotions, essentially. And Fred Rogers is the catalyst for that in terms of Vogel being reconciled with his father. And, and uh, it's an extraordinary uh, journey in the film itself. Yet and with all, what comes across is you can see Vogel struggling with this idea. Is this man the real deal? Is he squeakier than clean? And, and by the end of the film, you come across thinking, actually, you know what? This guy really is for real. He has real integrity. He, he's as plain as the program is. It moved you? Very much. Very much. Um, I turned to my wife halfway through and went, this film is genius. And my nine-year-old was watching it with us. Now, we were a wee bit concerned because some of the themes in it are a little bit adult. Mm. But he was able to cope with it and he watched it and he engaged with it. Uh, he enjoyed it. Let's go beyond the movie a little bit as well, if we can, Chris, to the idea of Fred Rogers himself, because I don't think you can talk about the man if you just confined yourself to what happened in the cinema. He did some amazing things. For example, when the uh, space shuttle disaster happened, he was put on TV to explain to the children what had happened. He became this sense of reality for, for children. Yeah. And not just with that. Since uh, the uh, since his death, I think it was in two thousand and three when he died. But reruns of um, the program have occurred when there's been big shootings in the U.S. For example, for him to explain anger, explain tragedy. Rogers himself talks about how he deals with anger, how he deals with sadness, how he deals with bullying, how he deals with isolation, all of those things. So there's a very famous um, clip of him talking about a song, which is entitled, I think, What Do You Do With The Mad That's Inside You? Or something like that. And They use that, they quote it in the film, actually, as well. And it, it just, it was words that a child had said to him. He just picked up on them and, and ran with it. What do you do with the mad that you feel when you feel so mad you could bite? When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, stop, stop any time. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a lady and a boy can be someday a man. Reverend Chris Kennedy, thank you for joining us on The Leap of Faith. My pleasure, thank you. Next this evening, as the impact of Storm Kira was being felt across the country last Sunday afternoon, 
a family event was organised by the Dublin City Interfaith Forum. It brought together members of seven major world religions, Baha'i, Buddhist, Sikh, Hindu, Muslim, Christian and Jew. The aim was to recognise the ecological and spiritual significance of trees. Dalgan Park, near Navan in County Meath, is the home of the Missionary Society of St Columban in Ireland. They have a commitment to justice, peace and ecology issues. And we sent our reporter Ony O'Neill along to find out more. I'm here surrounded by five acres of magnificent park and woodlands at Dalgan Park. It's here that Tuish Vat, Jewish New Year of the Trees, is being celebrated with the Dublin City Interfaith Forum. Tuishvat is a day for planting saplings and a representative of each faith will plant their own species here with the help of ecologist Jer Clark. Before stepping outside, I spoke with Hilary Abrahamson, who's chair of the Dublin City Interfaith Forum, about marking this particular date in the Hebrew calendar. We were looking for an event that would be ecological. And there is this very minor Jewish festival called Tu Bishvat. And the two means the number 15, and Shvat is the Hebrew month. And Tu Bishvat is when the birthday of the trees occurs. Now, you know, if you have a car, and your car, you might have bought it in December, which is 2019, and then in 2020, in January, it's one year older. So the, the important thing was to know how old a tree was, because I think it's in Leviticus, it says that um, you must not use the fruit of a tree for the first three years of its life. You have to plough the fruit back into the roots so that they're nourished. It's good husbandry. I think they have the same thing in the, in the west of Ireland. For the fourth year, the fruit was brought to the temple. So it goes back all the way, the temple in Jerusalem. And then... On the fifth year, you were able to benefit from it, but you still had to give a tithe to the temple. So it's just interesting, and that's the way it sort of evolved, and it's traditional to eat of the fruits and so on that would have grown in the Holy Land. And uh, we try to have 15 different types of fruits and nuts, which we have inside, and everybody's going to have some. Each of the faiths are going to plant a tree today, and we're also tying it in with something that's called mitzvah day, and a mitzvah is a good deed. Okay. And we wanted to do a good deed that was ecological, and I think we found the ideal one. But as the weather is a little bit inclement, we don't have as many people as we might have had. However, we've got lots of food. Of course, <laughs> and that's the main thing. And we're due to go outside we're now. Going, I think for everybody's that ceremony. gone. It's brilliant. <laughs> okay, let's go. We're now moving on to the tree planting part of the ceremony, where each faith is gathered around. This is a fig beautiful trees and getting ready to plant into individual holes so they're being a pre-dug. You try and loosen these out without damaging them. Harry, come on, hold it with me. Come on. Now, it's, it is too wet, to be honest with you. So this is a symbolic planting. Absolutely. Is that okay, everybody? Mm. Yeah, yeah. You can see we have the seven holes dug. Yes. But uh, I would rather not leave it in it because the roots are exposed. If we get a frosty night and the water froze, it would damage the roots. So we'll, we'll symbolically plant another one, okay? okay. <laughs> Hannah. Younger members are invited up to, that. to plant to get her hands dirty. some of the trees well done, here today to represent their faith. Thank you. Uh, somebody brought the bag. 
This other one is from my Moving daughter. indoors, people gathering here continued this celebration as they were invited to enjoy a feast of up to 15 different fruits and nuts representing the different tree species planted here today. Among those enjoying the variety was Roa Al Abdi, who was there with her daughter Hajar and two granddaughters Aya and Hannah. Roa, what do you think of the event here today? It's, it's, it's marvellous. Really, yeah. I enjoy it. And how important is it for you in Ireland and in Dublin then, being at events that represent various different faiths? It's very important to know each other, to exchange, you know, experience. Muslim and not Muslim, Jews and Christian, all sorts of uh, religion yeah. uh, get together. So marvelous. Yeah. yeah. Who's this? This is Hannah. Yeah. Hannah got to plant a tree outside. What have you got there, Hannah? Yep. Parsley. Yep. Parsley. And what were you told you have to do with this now? I was told to put it in a better pot and. I didn't really think that they said look after it, but I think I should look after it. You're going to look after it and help it to grow. Thank you so much. Bye. I'm here with Matthew Wickler. What's your involvement here today? Sure. Um, I'm here representing the Trinity College Dublin Jewish Society, and a couple of our members have come today um, up on the bus from Dublin because we wanted to be a part of this Tubishvat ceremony um, that we participate in as Jews wherever we are in the world, um, giving back to the places where we are by planting trees for you know our future and for the future of the communities that we live in. And this is a holiday that I've celebrated in the United States where I'm from by planting trees at my local parks there. And while I'm studying abroad here in Ireland, it's been incredible to be able to participate in this ceremony, you know, in another country, um, but also with people from other faith backgrounds, which I've never done before. Because um, Mother Nature is something that, you know, regardless of your faith, your creed, what country you're from, it's something that, you know, is our common responsibility yeah. across the world. Connects all of us. We all breathe the same air. And plants are the lungs of the world, you know. Um, so it's beautiful for all of us to participate together in, in making the lungs of the world stronger. Thank you. Thank you. Matthew Wiggler there talking with Anya O'Neill, who was reporting from Dalgan in County Meath. Finally this evening, we go further afield to France, and the life of a young French teenager was to change dramatically on the 18th of January last, when comments she made on Instagram provoked a nationwide debate on the right to blasphemy. To find out more, I'm joined now from Paris by France 24 reporter James Creed. And James, you've been with us before. Welcome back. What happened to this 16-year-old French student? Thanks for having me. So what happened was she was engaged in sort of various um, sort of chatting on Instagram and uh, she was discussing her sexual preferences. She is same sex. So she was talking about how uh, she likes women, but she doesn't. She's not really into Arabic women. Right. This was kind of a a discussion that came up. And in response to that, uh, apparently a French Arabic guy insulted her, insulted her sexual orientation. Pretty nasty language was used uh, against her. And then she, in a video response, uh, went on an attack against Islam. So obviously she's going from apples to oranges. It's all over the place from ethnic preferences in terms of dating to uh, now she's she's insulting uh, religion. And uh, so there was all sorts of conflation going on and she, she said things about the Quran being... Um, uh, a bleep bleep religion. So it, it was, there was there was ignorance and there was vulgarity. And but in the, in the aftermath of that, she became 
a target for hate speech and, and actual death threats. And it sort of went wild online. Um, and uh, so to the point where she had to uh, stop going to school because she was afraid for her own safety. And uh, it was at that point that the thing really became a big national story. So what in many cases would have been just a simple social media spat uh, suggests that this was a case of petrol being put on embers or fire that was already lit. What, what is the actual atmosphere that would re- result in France in something happening uh, so, so spontaneously? I mean, it's, it's very, um, there's many different aspects to this, but to kind of take it from the most visible aspect, I suppose, there was a big campaign of support for her online uh, using the hashtag Je suis Mila, Mila being her name, I am Mila. And it basically was an echo of what happened in 2015 in the support for Charlie Hebdo satirical magazine, Je suis Charlie. And like that is just, it's really um, bound into French culture now. Uh, the, if you remember in 2015, there was an attack on the satirical newspaper. Um, many uh, journalists and cartoonists were shot dead by these uh, uh, jihadists and they claimed that it was because of caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad. So what it, what what happened in the aftermath of that was there was a, an absolute outpouring of support on the streets of France and indeed across Europe and the world saying uh, we absolutely defend the sacrosanct right uh, to freedom of expression. Now, that's me editorialising by using the word sacrosanct, but in, 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 in the French context, this is the highest sort of um, right, if you like. It certainly supersedes any notion that religion should be respected. Uh, you have the freedom to criticise religion. Uh, you have the freedom uh, to insult, if you like, religion. Now, uh, there are nuances to it, but I'll, I'll just say that for now. Now, the prosecutor in France in the particular area opened two investigations, one for the death threats uh, against the person who who made them, but also once against Mila for provocation to racial hatred. Mm. So uh, this is where it sort of really got turned into a a kind of a big cacophonous sort of uh, story in French media because uh, you had a lot of people uh, criticising the the, the very fact that an an investigation was opened into whether she might have been provocative, if you like. Uh, You had a lot of people... Um, kind of politicians on the right, on the far right, coming out and absolutely condemning those who were, uh, you know, threatening her and defending her at all costs. You had, for example, the very right wing southern politician, Eric Ciotti, um, saying that she is a terribly French symbol and we must defend her. Terriblement française, une fille terriblement française. So what you had here was she was being held up as an icon of free speech, if you like. But you had you others then saying that uh, cautioning against that, such as Ségolène Royal, the former presidential candidate, former minister, she, she cautioned against uh, uh, what she called a kind of a, a, a vulgar, she, she didn't say that she herself was vulgar, but that uh, she had said vulgar things and cautioned against her being then held up as an icon of free speech. So she became a symbol and a political football as well in some respects where people were saying she is not being defended enough. People are not coming out in in, in her defence uh, vocally enough. Uh, there is a degree of cowardice. So ever since uh, the Charlie Hebdo uh, shooting in particular, there is this notion uh, that um, wayward expressions of religious affiliation need to be absolutely um, crushed 
And uh, so anytime this comes up in the public space, uh, it becomes extremely touchy and volatile because fundamentally she was behaving in an unpleasant and uh, uh, insulting manner. But uh, the, what, what keeps coming out in the, in the public discourse and in, in, in the declarations, even Emmanuel Macron came out and said this a couple of days ago, is you have the right to blaspheme. You can do this and the law will, uh, the, the state will defend you, the justice system will defend you. And that is the supreme value that needs to be defended. Uh, and OK, we, we can mention that it's important to be respectful and polite and not provoke, but you do have the right to blaspheme and that is that. So the case has been dropped against her? Uh, yes, it was dropped against her some, some weeks back. Um, so it's, And she's now back in school. Uh, she's being, she's, the, the authorities helped to find uh, a school that would take her because a lot of schools didn't want to take her because they were afraid of the repercussions. Um, but the actual location of that school has not been made public. So she is still sort of being uh, protected, if you like. James Creedon, thank you for joining us from Paris this evening. Thank you. Well, to discuss this further and to get an Islamic perspective, I'm joined now on the line by Sheikh Dr. Umar Al-Qadri, who is currently on a visit to Pakistan. He's a Sunni Islamic scholar based here in Ireland. He's also the chair of the Irish Muslim Peace and Integration Council. Sheikh Al-Qadri, thank you for joining us on the programme. We heard James Creedon there outline the story of Mila, and I suppose the aspect of the story that seems to have gotten this French teenager in trouble was her association of Islam with hatred. How do you answer that? Oh, well, first of all, uh, I would like to say that um, I totally uh, disagree uh, the way she has been treated and uh, the, the whole situation uh, has been created. I believe that uh, as anyone, any individual, she has her own right to uh, have an opinion and she is absolutely free to express her opinion. And I believe people should be free to criticize ideologies, religions. And if she does so, and if she has done so, then I do not find this in any way uh, problematic. But I do find it very problematic for Muslims to actually, um, you know, send hatred uh, towards her. Uh, I find that something that is uh, that is not compatible with the essence of my faith, Islam, with the Islamic teachings. Now, she tweeted, for example, saying that she dislikes and hates Islam because it's it is a religion of hate. Her op- that opinion of hers is because of uh, her, you know, the, the the treatment and the behavior of certain Muslims towards her. But these Muslims do not represent the true uh, teachings of Islam. And unfortunately, the reality is my community, the Muslim community, within my Muslim community, particularly the youngsters, particularly the teenagers that are that, that have grown up in Europe, many of them, they actually are uh, very illiterate about the essence of Islam, the Islamic teachings, and often confuse culture with religion. So... Um, and, and we find this in many occasions. The way she has been treated is absolutely wrong. I am totally against it. And I would like to say, Jesui Mila, that I, as a Muslim scholar, will stand up for her right to uh, criticize my religion, which, which I have no problem with. But at the same time, I believe that her criticism should be constructive criticism. Uh, we should not uh, spread hatred against any community. We should not spread hatred against any individual because of their identity. Mm. So, so, so this is my view. Uh, and when I found out about how she was being t- uh, sent messages online and particularly how people 
people tweeted against her, I found that very, uh, you know, very heartbreaking, very sad. It's interesting because you're actually quoting, I suppose, Voltaire, the famous French philosopher who said, I disapprove of what you say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. Absolutely. And and I think even in, you know, my tradition, the faith tradition, when you look at the Quran, which is the scripture of uh, of the Muslim faith, we find on many occasions uh, this call to question and to criticize and not just blindly follow anything. Uh, the Quran says, Why don't you? you know why don't you uh, contemplate why don't you uh, think deeply and and this is a call and everyone who uh, actually you know expresses has obviously thought something so which is positive or we can disagree with that but we should give everybody the chance to express themselves and if our arguments are strong enough um, and then we will be able to convince the other and if we are un unable to convince the other, then we should understand that there is diversity in thought, there is diversity in communities, and this diversity within the creation of God is, it's a beautiful thing. Imagine if everybody was uh, was a Muslim or everybody was a Christian, everybody, that's like a garden with just having uh, one particular flower. Uh, it won't be that attractive. It won't be that beautiful. But when you go to a garden that has many different flowers and with different colors, it is much more attractive and it is much more beautiful. And so is the creation. And we should understand that. It's interesting. Uh, recent research indicated that about 26% of the world countries still have blasphemy laws or anti-blasphemy laws. And it's all right. We're talking to you this evening from Pakistan where, you know, people are actually on death row and with life sentences for blasphemy. Uh, we has, uh, there are certain people absolutely, unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, in, uh, imprisoned because of this. And this law has been misused uh, on many occasions, unfortunately. And I totally believe that this particular law is not an Islamic law because we do not find anywhere in the Quran or in the Hadith any authentic tradition of the Prophet Muhammad where they have called for blasphemy law. I mean, how can you actually degrade, defame God, you know, who, who is supposed to be and who is, in, in my view, is, is, is the creator, is the all-seeing, all-powerful. So for, for us to believe that we somehow have to defend God's honor, I find that very silly um, and, and it is something I do not agree with. Finally, in uh, January of this year, the blasphemy laws in Ireland were repealed by 64% to 35%. Uh, what, what was your observation of that? So I think uh, I, my ob observation regarding was that that it, that it was fine. Uh, Ireland or any other country, we don't need such laws because such legislations can easily be manipulated. What we do need is uh, we need we need hate speech laws. We need hate crime legislation, hate speech legislation, because um, you know people can criticize religions. That's fine, but people have no right to criticize and to mock other humans, individuals, uh, and or they or something that is. Uh, that, that is, you know, symbolic, that is a symbol of their identity. And, and therefore, hate speech legislation should be there. Uh, but blasphemy law itself, uh, where people can be brought to the court because they have said something about God or about uh, any other holy figure, I don't think that that is needed or required at all. Sheikh Omar Al-Qadri, thank you for joining us on The Leap of Faith. You are very welcome. Thank you so much. And that's our programme. Thank you for listening. From our producer, Sheila O'Callaghan, broadcast coordinator, Jonathan Holland, and me, Michael Cummins. Till next week, goodbye.